When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I'm Mike Vardy, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with my friend, Charlie Gilkey. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. This episode is from The Vault. It originally was broadcast in September of 2019. So, you know, almost four years later, we are revisiting this. And I think it's key because we are approaching the time of year, if you're listening to this when it drops, that we want to finish the year strong. We're heading into the month of September. For me, it's the start of my year. For you, it's likely the beginning of the winding down of the year. So when Charlie wrote the book, Start Finishing How to Go From Idea to Done, I wanted to chat with him. I wanted to not only go through the book, which I did, but I wanted to talk about the idea of finishing, you know, the idea of pacing and productivity, what the thrash is and how it impacts finishing, uh, the idea of the building of the book itself, which I've just gone through that process as well as, you know, we are getting closer to the release of the productivity diet. So I wanted to revisit this conversation because I think it's a good time of year for it to be revisited. So without further ado, here's my conversation from September of 2019 with my friend and author of Start Finishing, Charlie Gilkey. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome Charlie Gilkey to the Productivityist podcast. Charlie, thanks for joining me today. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Every conversation that we get into is just so much fun. And so, yeah, thanks for having me. Again, we we kind of we were sitting here as we started the conversation and uh, just got on the on, on Skype and started chatting and, and we start going. I'm like, we should probably record this now. Like we should probably get started because <laughs> there's some gold that we, in them there hills. Uh, yeah. You got a new book, Start Finishing, uh, How to Go from Idea to Done. And uh, I'm excited for you for this. This is awesome because, I mean, th- this has been a long time coming, right? It's been a really long time coming, right? And Mike, you know the deal. Sometimes people will ask you, like, how long did it take you to write the book? And it's like, it depends on the question that you're asking here, because it could be four months or it could be 12 years, right? Uh, because so much of what's in the book is um, it incorporates what's already on the blog at Productive Flourishing. It recasts that. It weaves it into a different thing. And I think the beauty of a book is that you have a coherent start, middle, and end. And it's a way to introduce people to the work. And so I'm super excited about it, but I'm also really excited because we have um, some contributors who added to the book. And you're one of them, Mike. You added in the piece about, you know, night owl productivity, which I really appreciate. And so, yeah, long time coming. Um, and it feels really good because I've, I feel like um, it was made in a way that's really resonant with the way that I like to create work. So let's get into something that we were talking about just before we hit the record button. And as we're recording this interview, uh, we're literally, uh, what, a week away from the longest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, uh, mm-hmm. June, June 20th, which is ironically World Productivity Day, uh, which is, 
doing one of those days of the year thing. And the reason that it's World Productivity Day, you would think, it's like, wait a minute, it's the summer. That seems silly, but it's because it's the longest day of the year, right? So let's, can, I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the idea of uh, new starts, finishing strong, all that stuff, but re- in relation to the calendar per se. We, you know, a lot of people will say that the summertime is a slow period, but you and I were just chatting about the opportunities that are coming our way during this period of time. Why, why do you think that is? I think it's because we change perspective. And so when people say it's slow, um, in my experience, what they're saying is the pace of work changes, so it's slow. But in my way of thinking about things, everything that takes time, energy, and attention is a project. And when you think about it that way, you know, you were talking about Colton being home for the summer. There are all sorts of new projects you're going to have because you have your son home, right? That you didn't have two weeks ago that probably wasn't on any planner, like, hey, spend time with Colton. Like, wasn't there then, but it's going to be there tomorrow, right? And summer trips, um, vacations, weddings, graduations, all those things that happen, those are projects. But we normally don't think about them that way because in my experience, again, I don't know people have different experiences on this, but we use project for like professional things. And then we have our sort of other stuff that we do. So we have work that's a project and life that's something else. Um, But I am taking the perspective, much like David Allen does in making it all work, that when we make it all one universal sort of language and we think about it that way, you'll really see that for many people, summer is the busiest time of the year, right? Kids are home, trips, they're trying to squeeze in work. Um, and, you know, I'm from the South, and so I don't care what people say. Summer starts in Memorial Day. Like, I don't care about the longest day, but year. But psychographically, energetically, I start slowing down. I don't want to work the same amount of time. I Like, 9 to 3 is a really good day, right? If I'm at, if it's like 5.30 or 6, I'm really mad. But in the winter, I don't care so much, right? It's dark outside at 4, 4 o'clock anyways. Who cares, right? Um And so all these shifts start happening. So on the one hand, in the season, you have a shift in perspective from maybe the pace of work to the pace of life added to that work. You have changes in our affinities to the season that may add some time, may take some time, energy, and attention. And so all of that can make for summer to be um, this really transitionary period that on the one hand is like things are slower – and I've also seen a lot of a lot of folks, especially creative folks, feel like I'm still so far behind, even though things are slow. I want to talk about pace because I think that's an important thing to to dive into, especially when you're talking about starting to finish. Right, the finishing mm-hmm. is um, some people they start with a with a flourish. I'm going to use your uh, your. <laughs> yeah. They start with a flourish, and then they they you know the finishing just it, it kind of peters out. Um, how important is pacing when it comes to productivity? I'm very opinionated about this. And Mike, you might know, in any conversation where I say I'm very opinionated, it means that I have a strong stance on it and that I recognize that there are different opinions on this. But what I have found in my own work, working with clients and in a lot of podcasts, is actually pacing, especially consistent pace, is one of those secret tricks of productivity. It's not, it's not um, sexy at all. <laughs> Um, but when you look at the long game of doing your best work, a consistent pace that doesn't necessarily have fits and starts can be a great way to go because think about it from just a project momentum perspective. Um, you know, a project emotion stays in motion, right? A project rest stays at rest. Every time you let go of that project and have to start it up and stop it again, that's like this wasted energy that you put to it. Now, 
that's a caveat for most people and most times um, a consistent pace think of a marathon more than a sprint is the way to go however there are some projects that a sprint mindset and a not sustainable pace is actually a far better way to go and i found that for those um the more afraid of the project you are um, the more your head trash is about to get the best of you. Sometimes those are the best projects to do a sprint because you might push just hard enough that you outrun your fears, you outrun your head trash and actually produce the work that you can do rather than collapsing into like, you know, every day you, you do two hours of work, but you do three hours of fretting and, and thinking and analysis and, you know, worry. And then the next day you do two hours of work and then you got three hours of fretting. Sometimes it's better to do five hours of work or eight hours of work and not have that fretting time. So um, I think with productivity, and, and this is where you and I might can get in trouble, because on the one hand, we want to give people sort of general frameworks that they can use and say, try this, this works for a lot of people. But the trail trick, and the, the trail trick, like that, the real trick is figuring out what works for you in the right context for the right projects in the right time of year, right? And that's a lot of variables, I know, but that's, you know, um, if you're not approaching productivity as a lifelong learning experiment, um, I, I encourage you to do so because you might find a lot more peace, a lot more, um, a lot more momentum and a lot more joy in the work itself. So I'm going to bring up an interesting analogy as, as you're talking about the idea of, of the sprint and the pace and, and attention, cause you talked about attention and I'm a big believer, you know, productivity for me is intention plus attention, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, on our street, we have, we're on, we're on a fairly busy residential street, mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of cyclists. Like Portland, Victoria is mm -hmm. becoming a big cycling. In fact, it's the cycling capital of Canada. We've got people that are on bikes first thing in the morning that are biking and they're coming from the side streets and they don't stop on the side streets and they just turn onto the main street, not noticing. And there's parked cars and there's cars coming so because they don't want to lose momentum. And that's why cyclists don't stop generally. They're like, uh, why should I? I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. I don't see anything, blah, 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 which is, again, they're breaking traffic laws, no question. I, I, I wonder if when people are trying to keep the momentum of a project going, how much of their other stuff, their blind spots, the things that they have been paying attention to, uh, how, how do they keep themselves from ha getting run over by those other things when they're trying to keep momentum going. How do you recommend people do that? Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. 
welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash Productive Convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So the hard way, sorry, let me put it this way. The simple way that's hard to do is to be super intentional about the projects you're carrying in the first place. Right. I like to talk about the five projects rule, which in the long nerdy way of saying that is no more than five active projects at any given time perspective. So no more than five projects for this week, no more than five pro- month size projects, no more than five month size projects for this month, no more than five projects, because that allows you enough time to focus on it. And whatever parts of your mind and psyche are holding onto those other projects, it doesn't have to hold on to the relationship between 82 different projects. It's just like, okay, there are a few more cars coming down the road behind that. I can keep up with that. Um, so I would say that when you're on that sort of consistent productivity pathway that we talked about, it really is about touching those projects frequently enough that you're staying fresh with them. You know, what's going on, um, to use your analogy, you're looking at the sides of the crosswalk before, before you, you ride on. Um, I think when people do adopt a sprint mindset, they often under account for the fact that once they're done with that sprint, life is going to creep back in and all the things you haven't been doing during that period of time. They're going to rear their ugly head and remind you that, you know, about those types of things. And so I think, you know, people are like, I'm going to do a one week sprint. Usually what I tell them is, OK, you got one week sprint. You got one week of makeup time following that one week sprint because everything else you pushed out for that week is going to come back. And if you assume that you're going to do a one week sprint and then the next week all your projects are going to be where they where they should be and things are going to be stable, like you're setting yourself up for failure. Right. And so. um I mean, I realize I'm answering two questions here, right? Uh, how to adapt to the sprint. But um, I think there's a discernment. And this is one of those things, Mike, you know, as you write a book, like some things don't make the cut. Um, and I had a big, I had a big section about the ways we could label projects. And when I said earlier, active projects, that actually references a framework that didn't make it, but it's still people can get it. So it's not that big of a deal. But I think we assume that all the projects we're thinking about are active projects and that overwhelms us. Right. But when you start thinking like, okay, I'm thinking about a bunch of different projects, but I've only got three active projects right now. The ones that are on your literal or metaphorical desktop, right, that you're working on. It gives you some peace because as those other ideas come up for these other projects, you could drop it into a file. You can drop it into a sauna. You can drop it wherever you drop your stuff. Right. But not think that, oh, I got to jump and do that project right now. You don't have to activate that project. You just have to annotate that project. There's a big difference. Um, and so, so when I talk about the five projects rule, that's what I'm talking about. It's really active projects, things 
you know, that you would write in. There's one other sort of trick here is that it does us no good to write down all the projects we're not going to do in the sense on, on our daily to-do list or on a weekly to-do list, right? You're just not going to do it and you're going to use it as a tool to beat yourself up. Like I would much rather people make a list of the three things they're going to do that day and do those three things and be done with it. Um, and maybe you have some bonus tasks. Maybe you finish those three projects and you can look over to that inactive project and say, oh, maybe I could push that a little bit. But, you know, sometimes it gets super granular, Mike, as you know, of like just looking at people's to-do list and saying, you've got 22 things on there and you've got two available hours. How is that going to happen? Right? Um, and really getting real with yourself because I think, you know, as we talk about the pillars of productivity, one of mine is self-compassion. And I know we normally we normally don't take that perspective because, you know, as productivity guys, but I think when you create the plans, you create the list, you create the expectations that are somewhere close to human, you can find that ability to be compassionate to yourself and celebrate the work that you've done, but also not assume that you're this super mensch that can do all the things and carry that with you at the end of the day. That does no one any good, including yourself. So reining it back in is not just a, a reining your expectations of the projects you're going to do. It's not just a key to productivity, but it's really one of those tools for self-compassion and good and living the good life that I think is important to learn. Let's, I want to circle back to the idea of, of the life projects, right? Like mm -hmm. those things, because I agree with you. I don't think that people take those into account. They just, those almost seem rote, but they're not right. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things that you and I do not different, we approach it differently. You and I are really good in that we can both talk about the same thing and yet take different angles and come to the same conclusion. So for example, mm -hmm. when I talk about projects, I talk about breaking down a project to its smallest particles. I don't even focus on the project in terms of the largest sense. I say, are you sh like, what does that, what is, what makes up this project? I know you do something similar to that, but how do you, so when people are thinking about projects and finishing projects, starting them, like, why do you think that people have, why do you think that the start is so much more appealing than the finish. Do you know what I mean? Like in, in, when you're looking at it from, again, that, that to-do list functionality of saying, hey, wow, look at all these things I have to do. Uh, I'm going to get started on that. I'm going to get started on that. I'm going to start on that. But then there's the other things that are sitting there going, they've been languishing there, lingering there to the point where they either may not um, be as viable as they once were, or they're not as sexy as they once were. So can we, let's dig into that a little bit. And, and especially in relation to, um, those life projects that you're not even taking into account per se. Precisely. Thanks for that. Um, so I need to talk about something as a setup before I can go into answering that question directly. So let's talk about thrashing. And thrashing is what the term I use for that meta work, that flailing, that emotional gymnastics that you do around projects um, that don't actually push the project forward, but as a part of the process. Now, the thing about it is the more something matters to you, the more you will thrash. Very few of us thrash about taking out the garbage, right? Very few of us thrash about doing the dishes. Like there are a bunch of rote things. We just do it or we don't do it. There's not a whole mini existential crisis about it, right? We just do it or we don't. Those are technically projects, right? Those are technically projects, but there are certain kinds of projects. I call them best work projects that really go into work that really, really matters to you. Like the work you're meant to do here where you find flow and joy and service and meaning and all those things, right? What I'll say about making all projects projects um, is that 
on the one hand, when you really think about it, um, and as I've worked with people, they feel really overwhelmed because they really start thinking about all the things like, wow, it's all projects, my life, like the universe is sitting on my chest, I can't breathe. And I'm like, that same truth was existent before we had this conversation. Nothing has changed except for the way that you're looking at it. Now that we know this, what of those projects can we let go? What of those matter? What can you just be acceptably mediocre at and not you know, try to pretend that you're going to be epic at that? Like we can make better choices when we make everything projects than when we have, well, we have these work projects, i.e. projects that make me money, i.e. projects that if I don't do, I'm going to get fired and be ashamed and feel stupid versus these life projects that are like, oh, that'll be good to get to at some point, right? Um, and so, yeah, that, that's one of the advantages. Once you get over that, oh, God, like everything's a project. So that closet of doom that you have, like we all have some version of the closet of doom, I think, right? Where you put stuff in there, you keep meaning to get to it, you keep meaning to clean it out. It never makes the triage. It never makes the cut. There's no good day to clean out that that closet, whether it's a, you know, that closet is a virtual folder or whether it's a real closet or your garage or your, your mom's house, whatever that is, right? Cleaning out that closet is a project. It's going to take time, energy, and attention. You're going to have to show up. You're going to have to get rid of a bunch of stuff, right? It's an emotional journey. All those types of things that are important about that. Now, what I want to push back a little bit or at least add a different perspective is I know a lot of super smart, compassionate people actually have problems starting projects. So the start is not easy for them. Right. Um, and we all have different ways in which we thrash in projects. Some of us thrash in the middle or excuse me, at the beginning. Like, am I really the person to do this? Am I good enough? And I'm talking about a certain type of project. We don't do this. We're taking the trash out. Right. Um, some of us thrash in the middle when it gets hard. Right. And the plane goes sideways and we can't remember why we started and, and where we're going. And some of us thrash at the end. And some of us are just masters and we just thrash throughout the whole way and just, you know, are on a flailathon. But what I will say is that to answer your question about the people who like to start projects but not finish them is like when you start a project, all of the – I like to call them dragons. But all of the obstacles, all of the challenges, all of the setbacks, all of the difficulties normally are not right in front of you. By the time you get to the middle of a project, and especially the more that it matters to you, the more you're dealing with that stuff. Is this the right choice? Am I doing this right? Am I going to be able to pull this off? Oh, God, I'm three months behind. Does that tell me like anything useful? Whatever that is. What we do is we sort of hear the siren call of a new project. And we're like, oh, that one's going to be easier. I've got to figure I'm just going to jump to do that one because it's going to be great. And then I don't have to deal with this creative mess that I've created for myself. And maybe that one will inspire me to come back to this one. And maybe, maybe. So we jump to that new project. And what I've experienced working with folks is in about the same spot, for about the same reasons, you start thrashing in that new project too, right? It's not like you choose a new project and everything that you are challenged by in your current project just goes away. Like if you're terrible at time management in this project, guess what? You're going to be terrible at time management for the next project. If you have a hard, if you're doing a writing project and you're having trouble writing with this project, you're probably going to have problems writing, you know, for the next project too. But we don't, I think, have that project parity assumption to assume that whatever I'm sort of working through now is going to show up over there, right? Um, now, I'm a huge fan of starting a project and seeing that you started it for the wrong reasons and that it's no longer relevant. You got inspired by the podcast du jour, 
and you start doing it and you're like, actually, I really don't like this. This is really not in accordance with my values or strategies or anything that I want to do. I just fundamentally don't want to do that. Of course, drop that project if you're really finding that it's not taking you where you want to go and you're not learning something good and you're not enjoying it. Like, let it go. You don't have to finish everything you start. But if it sort of satisfies those three things, it's like important for where you're trying to go. It's teaching you something you need to learn and or you're enjoying the process as you go. Just abandoning and jumping to the next project um, can be really perilous because I want to talk about this real quick and then we'll jump to another question. What, what we under underappreciate is that mastery comes from finishing projects, right? You don't get better at whatever you're doing by half finishing a bunch of stuff. You get Well, you can get a little bit better. But really to see the what I like to call sort of like the kinesthetic feedback from the world once you finish a project and put it out there and you get the feedback, it did what it was supposed to do, it didn't do what it was supposed to do, it delivered delights, people didn't like it, whatever it is, that's where we get mastery from and that's where we get better. Um, and so that's where I get super worried about projects that we continually don't finish is that we're not really getting that mastery. And some of us have the tendency to start telling ourselves terrible stories about ourselves, like we're not finishers or, you know, we don't have it cut out to do this type of work or, man, I start things, but I, I just can't see them through. Like you take that emotional and psychological debt with you into further projects. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, so I want to get to, uh, I want to circle back to mm -hmm. the very beginning when I said that this book... It's been, it's been a long time coming. So a lot of people will think just because of what we do that, well, these guys probably don't struggle with this stuff nearly as much as I do. How, what was, how, how did that process go for you? The thrashing, all that stuff when it came to this particular book, because you and I've talked about this, about books, both of our books, like both of these kind of things. And we, it's not like we don't have other things going on and there's lots of irons in the fire. We have plenty of projects. We're not immune to this. So I want to give a real world example before we get close to wrapping up and give some tactics that people can actually use. What was the process like for you putting this book together so that people can, and so we can kind of humanize this for them a little bit as well. Great. So a um, couple of points of context here. One, midway through the writing process, I ended up with a health thing. I'm not going to go into it. That really um, that really sapped about two, two and a half hours of my day just recovering from that. Um, and yeah, two, that's human. Two, two and a half hours of a day of your focused time or your fo what I call focus blocks 
taken away from a writer does not help him meet his deadlines, right? No, because uh, there's also there's also the buffer and the margin around that. Because again, productivity guilt shows up. You have to work your momentum back up. So it, it's not just that; it's the time around that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, yeah, it all came up. You know, there the head trash that comes up is it's a term I use for just the stories we tell ourselves, right? Am I good enough? Is anyone going to care? Um, why does this actually matter? You know, that came up for me almost every day, right? Um, and I'm super connected to, you know, my colleagues like Mike and James Clear and, you know, um, Srini Rao produced a book during this period, like everyone. Yep. And a, a right. lot of people come in this book too, that you've got some of the contributions in the book, like Seth Godin writing yeah. like constantly. And it seems like he comes out with a book every three months. <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. And so, um, and so I'm like, wow, James produced a new book. Joshua, that new book is great. You know, Serena got, has a new book and does this book even matter? Like who cares? So that sort of stuff, that's a daily battle. And so I knew um, because this has been a 12-year process and this is not my first book and it's not the first time I've tried to go about writing a productivity book. Um, I was like, I have to build so many structures in place because left to my own devices, this book is not going to get done. And um, there is someone we both know. I won't name this person because I don't want to feel like I'm shaming them. But in the mid-2000s, they started writing a book and never finished Right. And they were a productivity person um, and wrote several posts over the course of years. And I looked at them. I'm like, man, just I love that person. They were a major contributor to my work, but like they lost a lot of credibility by not being able to finish the book. Right. And it never did. Right. Just fizzled. Right. Um, um, Mike knows who I'm talking about, I believe. Um, and so I was like, don't be that. Like, don't do that. <laughs> You spent the last decade doing this work, building this trust, building this rapport. Don't be that person. Be better than that, right? Um, and I, I have joked that, like, if you want to create a project that just give you a great tool for masochism, like write a book on writing, write a book on productivity, or write a memoir, right? Those three types, because on book on writing, like – Everyone is going to look at your writing as the example of what you're teaching. If it's on productivity, if you miss a deadline, if you miss, you know, if, if your launch is off, like the stories you'll tell yourself, like, this is what I teach. I have to do it. Right. Um, and then memoirs are just, I'm not even going to go there, man, telling your own story in public and things like that. But um, so I knew all of that head trash. And, and to be honest, like, um, and I could say this because it, it, it doesn't, it's not disrespectful. Right as we were going to market, I think I told you this, Mike, right as we were going to market, John A. Kev came out with the book, Finish. We talked about that, right? And so in case you're missing this, you know, the name of my book is Start Finishing. This project has always been Start Finishing. And so right as I'm going to market, John A. Kev is published by the publisher I was going to, like I had been working with to do this project. Um, and I was like, oh man, like, why do I need to write the book again? Like, who cares? Like he's, he's written it, but this time, um, and this is not disrespect to Cal Newport either, but like, I was like, I'm not getting deep worked again because back in, because back in, back before deep work, I think deep work hit us both. Mike, where like deep work came out and he was like, well, there, there goes a good bit of my work. I mean, we talk about attention and focusing time. Um, and so I was like, no, that happened when we deep work and it took me like three years to be like, okay, I got something to say. But when Finish came out, I was like, Finish, John Acuff's Finish. I was like, you know what? 
No, not getting deep worked again. Two, I know this work is going to be unique and original um, because it's um, because its author is, and I've got something to say. And plus, people keep asking me to write this damn book, so I don't care what <laughs> what John did. Like people keep asking me to write a book on this, so I'm going to write the damn book on that. But as far as structures, and this may go into the how-to, I knew all of that was in play. And so I set up the relationship with my editor. Haven is a wonderful editor. I'm just going to say that. I said, look, from the beginning, once a month, I'm going to show, I'm going to, you know, I borrowed um, Austin Cleon's show your work um, principle. And I was like, once a month, I'm going to send you whatever I've written for the month, right? If it's three words, you get three words. If it's a chapter, two chapters, you get two chapters. But on the second Wednesday of every month, started out as the second Tuesday, but then I realized I needed to be Wednesday because I, I would always steal another writing day. But second Wednesday of every month, I'm going to send you whatever I've written that month because I don't want to be the author that shows up a month before deadline, either not having written or not having showed his editor enough to, for, that, for, her, for his editor to be like, yeah, this, this isn't really the direction where we're going to go. And also because I knew on that second Wednesday, I needed to be accountable. Like, I, you know, I, I got a really great advance for this. And as soon as I did, there's this mental switch that happened for me. Mike, I was like, wait a second. And I know I've been writing for years. Here's the, here's the irony, Mike. I've been writing for years. But all of a sudden, I was like, oh, crap. Like, writing for free, for free, for free. I've been writing for free. Um, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, crap. This is my job. I would never take a job and talk to my boss. And, you know, it was like, what have you done today? Nothing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, right? I wouldn't take the paycheck and not do the work. And so I'm like, I took the paycheck. I got to do the work. This is my job now, right? Um, and it was really helpful for me because like when I had to make choices and prioritizing on a day, which we all have those choices, I was like, well, you know, when you are writing for free, when you're writing as a support of your job, it's easy to make the cut to being like, ah, I got all this other stuff to do today. I don't really need to write today. But when it's your primary job, it's like, well, all that other stuff has got to figure out how that's going to happen because this is my job, right? That I am a writer. Um, so that's why I set up that rhythm with Haven so that she's seeing it. And like, when I ever had that doubt, I would go back to one of her previous responses, you know, to the last thing I was saying, which is usually like, this is great. I'm loving it. Keep going. Like I'm really loving how this is coming together. And it was just this sort of thing of like, every time that head trash would come up, I would say, you know what? Every single show your work drop that I've sent to Haven thus far, she said, it's good. It's on track. Keep giving it, keep doing it. I'm doing the same thing I've been doing the whole time. <laughs> so if I keep doing the same thing I've been doing and I've gotten that outcome, all this head trash, all this fear, all this doubt, all this flailing that I'm doing, it's a part of the process. But fundamentally, if I'm doing X and getting Y response, my only job is to keep doing X to get Y response, right? That's all that matters in the end, right? Um, and so while I had a lot of support and while I, you know, a lot of that big picture vision and principle stuff that we, that we like to talk about at the high level of productivity. At a certain point, it came down to micro taxes, get up. Like seriously, Mike, I had, if I, I had a routine, cold start routine, I printed it out. If I skipped more than three days of writing, I would walk down to the coffee shop, pull out the printout of my cold start routine and start working down the steps. And it was literally order coffee. Get the Wi-Fi password uh, before you sit down. Get out your writing log. 
review your last writing thing, write for 15 minutes, then see what you're going to do next. It was literally following those steps because it reliably produced the outcome, right? And so um, I think when we go through projects like this, man, if you're just trying to rely on grit and you're just trying to rely on passion, it's going to be a hard road to go. Because that's emotional. A lot of that's emotional and you need to have something that is, uh, it's got some logic and reason attached to it. If you go on by pure emotion, then you're good. Then the threat, then the fear, the thrash, all that stuff's going to happen because it's, you know, it, it, you've opened your door to it. Right. Whereas yeah. if it's like, here are the steps, these like all, here it is. I'm just going to, that's why the whole making the bed principle works, right? You make your bed first thing in the morning. It's like, okay, I did that. Now what's next? Now you're building upon that. But yeah, as soon as you throw, I mean, uh, one of the things I'm talking about now is like the idea of, of the, 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 having this harmony between, um, harmony or harmony between, uh, emotion and logic, like reason, like just, it doesn't have to be, if you're too overly logical, then, then you're going to, you don't leave any room for the human component to show up. But if you're too yeah. emotional, then you're just going to be going willy nilly without any kind of, you gotta, gotta find that harmony yeah. and, and do some reasonable things that'll work for you. That's I think the key. Yeah. And, and to your point on that, I, I talked about the hard side of things again, going back to Haven, which again, Haven is amazing. Um, you can do this with any writing partner. She just happened to be a great writing partner. But like whenever I would get stuck, I would be like, just write to Haven. Just like you're not writing for everyone. You're not writing just write to Haven. If you can't figure out who you're writing, because she's one, she was my audience. Right. So just write to that person. But there's sometimes it's like, no, I'm writing, to, I'm writing to Mike Vardy on this one. Like I'm writing to and for Mike Vardy on this one. Okay. Like that's how I'm going to approach it. Still me, still the same concept, but find and, and it's not just to overcome the fear, but it's imagining the why going back to the why I'm writing this for Haven to make, because she was legitimately going through some things that this book was helping her with. I'm writing this for Mike because I'm imagining what Mike is going through. And this is going to be something that helps Mike. Right. And so it, if you don't have enough sort of those positive emotions to buoy you, it doesn't take so much of the negative emotions to drag you down to the bottom. And so you just have to be strategic about it. Yeah, have those common, have that combination there so that emotion, because if it's pure emotion, the negative ones are going to show up. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, that's a lot of stuff that we've given people to, to try in terms of tactics. We're going to wrap up now, Charlie. But uh, I want to say before people, I mean, I've had John on the show. I've had, you know, obviously I've talked to you a few times, th- both books. Complete, like you said, different different takes. Uh, both are great. Uh, I love this because you and I, I mean, we've been friends for years now, and there's lots of stuff in here that if, you, if you've been following my work for years, which if you're listening to this podcast, you might have, um, and, and if not, you're, you're, you're liking what I'm doing. This, when we're doing stuff, we do stuff a lot together, you and I, so there's a nice companion to it. And also, you know, like you said, I make a little appearance in this book. I'm not going to say what page, um, but, you, but you'll have to go through the whole book to get there. So there you go. Not the whole book. I mean, they have to go through seven chapters before they get to yours. Yes. So, well, no, now you've told them they'll skip to chapter eight. Page. That's true. I, I didn't say chapter eight. Uh, Charlie, uh, where can people pick up the book, Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done? You can pick up Start Finishing from any um, bookseller that's online. You can walk into a bookstore. They should have it. Um, if you want more information, see who's liked the book, maybe some more more of the table of contents, go to startfinishingbook.com, and you'll be able to get more information there, but also see all of the available retailers. What I also want to add in, if you are international, we've got you hooked up because you can buy your books international from Book Depository, and it will still get to you. So we haven't forgot about you. Charlie, as always, a pleasure. Thanks again for joining me on the Productivity Podcast. Thanks for having me. 
Big thanks to Charlie for joining me back in the day nearly four years ago, as well as all of the support he's given me in my work over the years. He's a great friend, and I hope you got a lot out of this conversation. Yes, I know this episode originally aired in September of 2019, but it's nice to resurface these every once in a while. And if you're a subscriber, it's easy to resurface episodes that have happened in the past and make sure that you don't miss an episode of what's to come. That's one way to support the show. Another way to support the show, of course, is to check out the sponsors that you heard today. You can check out those sponsors as well as other goodies at productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors. If you want to read all of the relative and related show notes, you can also do that on the website as well, productivityist.com slash podcast 490. That's it for this week. Next week, I'm back with a shiny new episode. But until then, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later. <laughs>